Hello, and welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium of the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. My name is Michelle Thompson. I'm an occupational therapist with Richmond Public Schools and the host of this episode. Today's conversation is a part of a special series in connection with the theme of our upcoming Merck conference, The Promise of Public Education, Connecting Research, Policy, and Practice in a New Era. What do we mean by the promise of public education in a new era? Public schools have been designed to meet a range of ambitious goals critical to health and stability in our, of our country. They promise opportunities for social mobility, to develop skills that, are, that lead to fulfilling vocation and economic livelihood, and to instill dispositions and critical thinking skills essential for democratic citizenship. Although elements of these foundational principles may endure, recent events have shed light on how this promise has in many cases, been unfulfilled, particularly for student-specific populations. Over the past year and a half, we have seen the COVID-19 pandemic disrupt nearly every aspect of public schools, forcing educators and students to rapidly adapt to a new and uncertain environment. At the same time, international social movements promoting racial justice have called upon school systems to re-examine policies and practices in pursuit of greater equity for their students and their community. Whatever the future may bring, public education finds itself at an inflection point where we can reimagine its purposes and possibilities. For each episode in this series, we will explore a fundamental element of public education, discuss how it has been impacted by the events of the past year and a half, and share our vision for what it could be moving forward. In this episode, we are discussing, discussing the promise of education for students with disabilities and have invited local experts who can best speak where we might go from here. Let me introduce everyone to you now. We have Tanya Epps, elementary intensive support self-contained teacher from Richmond Public Schools, Catherine Smith, Director of Exceptional Education from Henrico County Public Schools, and Sarah DeArmond, Assistant Professor of Counseling and Special Education from VCU School of Education. So let's, let's talk about this. Um, I'll just throw this out to everybody. What have you learned this past year throughout the pandemic, whether your district was virtual, in-person, or hybrid? Or what have you heard about education over this pandemic? So I'll start. Um, I think one of the things that we have always said to our special educators is they know how to pivot and be flexible and to adapt to any situation. So I am very proud of the work that our special educators did in terms of being ready to pivot and do everything that we asked them to do because that is what they do day in and day out. So I think we really saw some of our best work um, and we're, our educators were really calms in the storm for a lot of our students and families to navigate this process. I mean, yes, there were um, instances where we had to work out what parallel hybrid and virtual services and teleservices looked like during this pandemic, but I really think it showed um, just the amazing time uh, or amazing talents of our staff during the pandemic. That's awesome. I had, um, I think, for me in Richmond um, and being a direct service provider, um, my 
one of my biggest takeaways was the absolute um, critical importance of the family school relationship and um, really getting a chance to invest in that um, because of the pandemic, because we, we pivoted, as you said, um, and we were able to um, actually reach out to families and help them in ways that I'm not able to help them when I'm not talking to them with their child in um, school-based therapy, um, at least for me. Yes, um, I just want to say um, I was, my silver lining um, for the last school year was just watching my students and my parents pivot because they both had to learn a new way of, of learning, basically, especially my students. And, you know, I, I learned from this pandemic to never underestimate the abilities of my students, even though we know that they have they, they have a disability, but they amazed me, you know, by, by learning how to log into uh, their classes, uh, learning how to write in the chat box, learning how to write on Jamboard. These are things that you wouldn't think that they might be able to do. You would probably second guess, oh, I don't know if they can do it or not. But they surprised me. They, and they, they surprised themselves, which is, which is what you really wanted to do. They were surprised that they were able to learn something new as well as the parents. And one of the things that I was able to do was to, before the parents even logged into the session for the first day of school, I did a practice session with them. I set up a time with them to log into me to make them feel more comfortable. And on the first day of school, we didn't have a lot of uh, dropped, well, I want to say like dropped calls, but they weren't dropped calls, but calls because the parents already knew how to log their child in. And as far as attendance, my students did not miss class a lot. If, and if they were going to be out, you know, in some most cases, you, I got a notification they were going to be out. Sometimes it didn't, I didn't know, but for the most part the attendance was good all of my students made gains so when I look back at the pandemic yes at the at our virtual learning session yes it was challenging but my students really really all of them made gains and I truly believe it's because they really had that one-to-one -one attention they didn't have all the distractions that are normally in the classroom and by that I mean behavioral distractions uh, you didn't have that because I was able to sit with them in smaller groups or some sessions were just one-to-one. -one. So, I mean, that's my takeaway from it. Oh, that's awesome. So from my perspective, I have a little bit of a different perspective being someone that's, you know, representing higher education and the preparation mm -hmm. of special education teachers. And so, you know, one of the things that we know about teacher preparation is that, um, because all of us have participated in school ourselves as students, that when it comes time to teach people how to be teachers or special education teachers, there's always some unlearning that has to be done because we, you know, come into um, learning about teacher, uh, like how to be a teacher with some already like preconceived notions about, you know, what it is to be a teacher because we've been students and we've been around teachers and we've proceeded through, you know, um, the K-12 um, system and, and even more than that in a lot of cases. So one of the, you know, the interesting pieces from this past year is that, you know, teaching in a, during a pandemic, whether it was hybrid, completely online, 
back to school face-to-face, -face, but wearing masks and socially distant, it's completely different from the way students or our current teacher preparation students experienced it themselves. So we call that the apprenticeship of observation. And so overcoming that was completely different. And we were all learning it together as we went um, because it was so new. It was new for the you know supervising teachers, the master special education teachers that our um, uh, student teachers were placed with. Um, and so it was this really unique cool opportunity for our teacher candidates to be kind of learning alongside those master teachers and for us in higher ed to be learning alongside with them and really problem solving all together because none of us were experts. None of us had experienced this before. We were all navigating that ebb and flow together. Um, so I'll echo, you know, a lot of what Katie and Tanya said in terms of silver linings and, and realizing that students can still make gains and look at all these technology skills and the way that we can pivot and the way that we can build those relationships with families. Um, but it's also, you know, it, it just created this really unique environment for um, feeling like we're all in this together, we're learning together, we're figuring it out together. Um, and I think just the, the growth and um, involved in that was, was really uh, something powerful. That's awesome, thank you. Um, Tanya, you mentioned silver linings. Um, Katie, can you think of any silver linings that um, your district experienced due to, the, due to the pandemic maybe? And will you be bringing any of these practices forward? Absolutely. Um, like I echo so much of what Tanya said in terms of like our families and our students. We had a lot of successes with the virtual small groups and one-on-one -on -one as well. And being able to use some of our reading teachers in particular to provide virtual reading uh, services to students across the division. So we could pull third graders, a group of third graders, or even a group of students who of mixed grade levels who were working on similar skills in order to receive virtual reading instruction at a certain time. We did that through our ESY, but also during the school year. And we had students make tremendous gains. Um, so it really helped us to be flexible in our student grouping. So that's something that we plan to continue. We also held um, virtual IEP meetings and eligibility meetings. And I think our families really enjoyed that because I found it truly beneficial for our parents if they had to take time off of work or figure out um, their schedule, they weren't having to factor in travel time to and from the school. And so I think that element of flexibility for our families is certainly something that we want to continue. Now, absolutely, we'll continue to have meetings in person, but I think uh, the virtual meetings really, really went well. We had a lot of success with some of our students, like Tanya mentioned, who maybe um, academics wasn't, they did great academically, but also they didn't have the behavior challenges that they traditionally had. Um, and so we had, you know, many, many students really thrive at school who maybe school wasn't a place that they enjoyed, or maybe there was a student or an activity in their class that was a previous trigger for them and those were eliminated. Um, Henrico is offering a virtual academy this year, so our students who really thrived in the virtual setting have an opportunity to continue that. And so I think that that, um, that shift in how we're approaching education moving out of the pandemic for many of our families provided just another layer of comfort and security for those that really just thrived in the virtual setting. Oh, that's awesome. I can, I can tell you one of the silver linings that I didn't expect, I didn't even think of doing it ahead of time, but 
all of our schools and all of our departments and all classrooms, like every group in Richmond did a community circle. And it is mm-hmm. it was fantastic. That connection, mm-hmm. that support, um, the, the, the children loved it. The parents loved it. The parents loved being in their children's community circle in the classroom, um, even virtually. And, and that is definitely something that um, I know that my department's taking forward just to have that connection as itinerant um, therapists. We're all over the place, but we're not together. And it gives us that sense of community to be together. And then we can carry that for that, that energy, that, that community energy to our classrooms, to our teachers and to our parents and, and keep that. And that was, that was, that was a really nice silver lining I found and experienced myself. Um, I would say that we we even had that at, in the like higher ed sphere, you know, I support lots of different cohorts of students, but last year, the cohort of students, teacher ed candidates and special ed that we had, you know, that was like the tightest cohort, the most like strongest community, even though we only met each other in person like once or twice. I mean, that was, it was like a family because of this shared experience. And again, back to that, you know, shared problem solving and kind of navigating it together. The, the support and the community that they have that they can now carry forward into their early career years of teaching in high need schools in the area is just, you know, something that I think is going to be hard to recreate. The circumstance kind of contributed to that um, in a really wonderful way. We had something similar Wellness Wednesdays, and um, our students really wanted to invite that this year. Because I think what became super powerful for students is that for the first time, there was a dedicated time to talk about something other than academics. And it became appropriate for them to talk about what was happening in their personal lives, their emotions. And so I think going into this year with this huge focus on social emotional learning um, and preparing our students, you know, we know we've got to take care of and make sure that they feel safe and secure first before we can start the learning this year. I think last year, what you all described as well, we've kind of set the stage for prioritizing that as a division. I was going to add some of the things that um, I did uh, during my community circle on Mondays and Fridays. I used to sing a song uh, called Celebrate that I found on um, Go Noodle. And um, so the kids, of course, they would log in and I would start to play that song. They start to request it. And, and it goes into like this, you know, you know, today is, you know, they would start singing a little jingle. It says, you know, it's time to celebrate. I said, yes, boys and girls, it's trying to celebrate. It's Monday. It's the beginning of our week of learning. And they could get up out of their seats. So you could see them just moving the furniture in the house to get up and dance and sing just for that particular song. And I, like I said, I would do it on Mondays and Fridays. And we also did something called Second Step. I don't know, Ms. Thompson, Thompson, if you're familiar with this or not, but it taught social skills. And it went by grade level. And most of my children were on the kindergarten slash first grade level. So, you know, it, w- it would teach them little jingles like, you know, eyes are listening. You know, our, our eyes are, I'm sorry, eyes are watching, our ears are listening, you know, focus, focus. And, you, and I would just get like a, a, a paper towel tube and I would put it right in front of my camera. I said, okay, let's focus. Because that was a part of that social skills program that we use during Community Circle. And those same songs, I can still hear them in my mind. And I'm going to use them this year if I have the opportunity to do, do so. But they, they've taught children basic social skills, 
in a very uh, simple way, and they broke it down so they could understand. So we sang songs in the morning. My, my assistant would always ask, how is everybody feeling? And they got to go around and, and talk, just like if we were in the classroom, go around a circle, talk about how they were feeling. If somebody was not feeling bad, then, of course, everybody would rally to that person and say, you know, what's wrong? How can we help? And we would say things and cheer them up. So I loved Community Circle. It was it was just really good. And, and like that song, Celebrate, was by request. Miss F, are you going to play the Celebrate song? It's Monday. It's Friday. Yes, I'm going to play it for you. So I, I, I love Community Circle. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love hearing this so much because it just it shows like we're talking about the promise of public education. And I think sometimes we get so micro focused on learning academic tasks that we forget about community building and belonging and belonging to that school community. And I, I just love that so much. Um, but I wanna shift and pivot to talking about equity, especially equity for our students with disabilities. So in what way has equity been improved due to, due to the pandemic? And I'll give you an example. In Richmond, um, all of our students had access to a Chromebook and a Wi-Fi hotspot. Prior to the pandemic, we did not have one-to-one -one devices. So that was huge for our students. Um, and especially our students with disabilities, it allowed them very easy access to assistive technologies that maybe they didn't have access to before, or maybe they weren't using in their classrooms because they weren't writing as much, or you know they weren't they weren't reading as much because the the curriculum was delivered a little differently in person. I think there is a difference between virtual and in person. Um, so along those lines, how what other ways do you feel like the playing field for equity has been, maybe been leveled out or or um, helped due to the pandemic? One of the things that kind of comes to mind right away for me, and there's probably many others, but I just think about equity from the lens of access to teachers and, and related service providers. And I know during the pandemic, all of our special educators and our related service providers um, really use office hour to touch base with families, help families generalize skills in the home setting that traditionally families may not have known what schools were doing or what related service providers were doing with their child to help generalize skills. And so I just think about the power of those um, office hours, which sometimes were meetings with parents to help answer their questions, to help support what was happening in the home. Um, and just the ease of being able to do that virtually where, you know, we weren't doing where you have to schedule a parent-teacher conference and come in. It was kind of like these drop-in sessions mm -hmm. and access and they mm -hmm. knew someone was going to be available to mm -hmm. support them. I just think that that was so pivotal in terms of, um, like Tanya said earlier, making our families and students champions in this pandemic mm -hmm. um, that I can't wait for that mm -hmm. work to continue. Oh, Ms. Thompson, I I'll just add um, to what, what was just said. Um, I know that some of our related service providers, uh, they made home visits uh, taking materials uh, to students. And also too, um, I had a student who had some difficulty um, learning letter sounds. So one of my related services, my speech therapist as a matter of fact, was he had the time to um, make a video. Whereas just uh, like our other panelists just said, um, she said, you know, you didn't have to worry about office hours and going from, and he had several schools, but it was easy 
for him to make that video, upload it. He said, okay, now you can give it, you know, share it with your parents or use it in class. So that kind of levels the playing field. It's no longer, you know, you don't, you no longer have the barrier of, oh, I have five or six schools. You know, what, at what point am I going to be able to do this for this particular student? Because I have the access of my computer. I can just upload it, make the video and do it right now. So that's what I saw as, as a, a benefit also, uh, you know, to the virtual learning was, you know, it just made it easier for the related service providers to provide more assistance, you know, rather than what they would have done if they had been, you know, in in-person learning. That's exactly right. And I, see, I saw it from the, the flip side too, that the equity for the students being able to present a video to express themselves. Um, so more yes. universal design for learning approach that they could express themselves in multiple ways um, through technologies that that hadn't really been thought of before. Um, mm -hmm. I had a I had a child who figured out for himself how to make a screen reader um, read the page on dinosaurs that he wanted to read about, and then he learned how to copy and paste, and he put it in the chat. And I thought, how did you write write all this? And he's like, oh, Miss Thompson. Google, you just pushed a little microphone and you can hear what it says and copy what you like. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is so fantastic. And he figured it out himself. So the next question, and there's only two more, um, it is often reported in the news that COVID cases are on the rise. How do you anticipate the pandemic impacting education going forward in light of this? So what I'll say is, um, and I'm not sure what some of the other localities did, but this summer we really made a commitment to increasing our summer enrichment opportunities in summer academy and ESY with in-person um, opportunities. And I was so pleased um, with the mitigation measures that were in place in terms of us having buildings almost a full capacity. So it's a way for us to practice mitigation measures have students in buildings practicing mitigation measures because we did have students um, in buildings somewhat in March, but not as many students as we had over the summer academy and so um, or in targeted areas in summer academy. Um, but it was great to see the mitigation measures work for students to be familiar with hand washing and social distancing. Um, and then also, I think that we've done a lot um, to try to prepare our community for what those things are. Uh, but I think that we've done a lot to explain all of that to uh, teachers and principals. And now I think in the last few weeks, getting ready for school to start, we have an obligation to share that with our community and our students to get them to feel safe to return to schools. But um, I know the COVID cases are on everyone's hearts and minds and they're on the school divisions as well. But we're really excited for the five days of in-person to have our students back. Thank you. I know in Richmond, um, we've got scrubbers in all the classrooms and and all the PPE and it feels it feels like the plan is in place. Yes, I was going to say um I taught summer school um in ESY. Um and it did give me to believe it or not, I thought I was going to be a little um have a little anxiety about going back, but I tell you, I walked right through those doors and it was just like I had never left, you know, um, and, and, and I started teaching. Of course, we had, you know, teach with masks and, you know, that was an adjustment, but we made the adjustment. The students made the adjustment, you know, as well. And you had to had to remind them, you know, to focus. OK, we need to stay healthy. Keep your mask on. And, you know, some of them were challenged. There was a challenge for some of them. But for the most part, the children complied. 
And they were able to make those shifts from being unmasked to being masked. You know, so I just hope that, you know, it does, the, the rise in cases does not close us down um, in the upcoming school year. But for, for me in summer school, like I say, it, it, it worked out. It, it worked out. But I do, I do realize something else, too, how much you don't realize how much your children need your face to teach until you get in, in person and you have a mask on. Because when you're trying to teach letter sound, okay, you have to, they have to see what your mouth is doing. So that required a shift. And I said, okay, all right, I can shift. Okay, I, I know what I'll do. I'll just make a video and, and send it to the parents. Never got around to doing that, but you know, your mind started to shift to see what else you could do to still meet that child's need or those children's needs. So, you know, I'm just hoping that we're able to stay in, you know, for the rest of the year and, it, and that COVID doesn't continue to affect us negatively. Sorry, if I could just jump in for a second. Um, I kind of have multiple hats in thinking about that question because I'm a parent of um, an elementary age child and, and a child in, in daycare. Um, so part of what I think about with the pandemic is twofold. I feel total confidence in our, you know, in my graduate students at VCU now, and also, um, you know, the the brand new special ed teachers that are entering the workforce that we that we've trained that they can roll with it and pivot. We use that word a lot, um, but I also think about it, you know, from the perspective as a parent, where I feel like I'm just kind of walking a little bit on eggshells, just waiting because I feel like at some point it'll happen where. You know, all of a sudden I'll get a, a call and the next day my kids will be at home and so I'll be pivoting too. Um, so it's always a, mm -hmm. a, a an exercise in, you know, kind of living like my personal life lives the work in a lot of ways, as does my, you know, professional life. Like I talk about it, but then I'm also living it um, at home, which is kind of interesting. But I think, you know, back to this idea of silver linings, it's created this amazing um, transparency and just compassion, I think, across the board between, you know, parent perspectives, as well as, you know, kind of empathizing with like what teachers are going through um, for us in higher ed, preparing the next generations of, of special ed teachers and still feeling connected to the, re the real world of teaching. Um, you know, it gives me a new appreciation for that, even though I used to be a special education teacher. Um, I haven't had to do it during a pandemic directly. So, you know, it's it's all of those things. But I feel as much as I'm kind of like anxious to anticipate like, oh, gosh, what is this going to look like? And when is my child's school going to be shut down or is it or are we going to be exposed? It's also a well, look what we just, you know, look, look at this past like 18 months that we've just had, like, we can do this, you know, it's fine. We're all used to wearing masks. We're all used to doing everything virtually, you know, learning on a computer, um, supporting my child at home flexibly. Like, like we can do this. We're, we're, um, we got this. So. I hear that from a lot of parents. <laughs> it must be really hard to be a parent and have to constantly pivot. Um, so final thoughts as as a fairly diverse stakeholder group here, um, how do we envision taking some of what we've learned forward um, in the future, even past pandemic, um, to make public education 
more equitable and um, the promise that it is meant to be? Well, I'll, I'll go first. I'll go. Please do. Go go. Um, I was just, just sitting here thinking, sometimes I feel like I have two, two minds, an in-person mind and a virtual mind. <laughs> but when you try to merge those two um, minds together, I feel like if I'm in-person, and just as I've stated, if I need to uh, give a student some extra instruction, I now have the tools to do that. I can go on, I can go on Google Meet and make a video that demonstrates how to write a certain letter or teach a certain letter sound or uh, whatever skill that child may need some extra help on. I have, I have other things I can use that's, that's outside of the homework, the actual in-person homework that I would normally give. I can give that extra support and train the parents how to use it. They can stop the video, back it up, you know, fast forward it. I have some more resources that also, that also brings in that equity. I can do more now that you know i've had that virtual um learning a virtual teaching experience so that's what i'm thinking about i i still right now i still use my split screens even when i'm at work mm -hmm. or i'm working on something i still use that i know i'm going to still use like i said the the google meet in my new position where i am now to help train and work work with teachers and support teachers so that's what i'm going to do going going forward I think what I hope moves forward is our ability to still connect with our families and to make learning between home and school as seamless as possible and really helping our students transfer, whether it's academic communication, social or behavioral skills across settings. And by doing that with the support of our parents so that so that we can, like Tanya said, we can model, they can see what we're doing. They have access to videos. They have real time feedback. Um, you know, and, and it's all at their fingertips by just logging on and pressing, you know, uh, to meet with their teacher. And then they meet through teams. We use teams in Henrico. So um, I'm really excited about what that's going to do in terms of continuing to build the partnerships with our families and our students. Um, like I said, to support both home and school. And I, I think for us, um, speaking from a teacher preparation perspective, this is really normalize the idea of universal design for learning in a whole other way. So, you know, this expectation around um, technology integration and multiple means of, you know, reaching students, connecting with parents, connecting with one another, supporting one another. I mean, it's really across the board. It's not just in how we teach students, it's, it's just how we enact the role of being a special educator, that we can, we can apply UDL principles in, you know, how we want to um, connect with families in, in a variety of ways that are, are best able to meet their needs. So um, I think the enhanced technology um, utilization and flexibility and just really muscles that have been strengthened in, in those ways are just now going to be part of what we're going to carry forward, part of the expectation going forward that prior to pandemic was probably a really intimidating thought or reserved for folks that were really interested in technology. But, you know, we, we all know teachers that can get kind of stuck in their ways or to feel like, you know, well, this is how I've been doing it. So this is how I want to do it. It's my comfort zone. So this has kind of taught us how to you know, be pushed out of our comfort zone and to be comfortable being out of our comfort zone, right? Um, so yes. like, for me, I've always 
preached adaptability and flexibility to students and how you never know it all in special ed. There's always something new to learn. You are never an expert in special education ever, um, even if you're a professor in it. And um, so it's just, this gives a new perspective and um, emphasis, I think, on that. Uh, yeah. Thank you. But I was thinking that as we're looking um, to the future for a democratic society, um, all the relationship building and community building that fosters that really tight sense of community and belonging for our students, for our families, for our, our staff um, is, is, is something that I've really learned that is, that is important above, maybe even above and beyond academics. I, um, dare I say that, but, but that sense of belonging is important for education. It is important for community um, and for our whole society. Um, so as we, we're going to leave that right here, right now, um, but we want you to continue this conversation and hope that you will join us for our 2021 Merck conference on Friday, October 22nd. Tickets are available now and there are special rates for VCU and Merck school divisions. You can register on our website at Merck, it's M-E-R-C dot S-O-E dot V-C-U dot E-D-U backslash conference. While you're there, you can check out Merck's projects and reports on prominent issues in public education and sign up for our stakeholder email listserv to stay up to date with our latest research and resources. You can listen to other episodes from this series and subscribe to Abstract wherever you get your podcasts, including SoundCloud, SoundCloud Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the Merck website. Our thanks, as always, to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck and to all our partner school divisions, Chesterfield, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Petersburg, and Richmond Public Schools. Thanks to our guests today for sharing their perspective. And of course, thanks, as always, to you for joining our conversation. We hope you will share this episode with anyone you think would find it interesting or helpful. This has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Let's talk again soon. Bye.